today, uh, as we continue our reframing series, we're going to be talking about our time and how we spend our time. Believe it or not, this is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I, I love talking about uh, how we spend our time and what that looks like. Um, and uh, I know that sounds maybe very vanilla, at least on the outset, but you'll see when we get there. Uh, so much so uh, that I have I've preached a similar sermon or something like this. I cannot tell you how many times as a youth pastor, as a pastor in general. Um, and, uh, and, and while I'm bringing that up, let me, let me also introduce myself just for, uh, for a second. Uh, I know most of you should be aware, I'm, I'm Matt Novak. I'm our associate pastor. Um, I, am, uh, I like to call myself the heir to, to the, uh, the Novak family. It's really fun. Um, I am, was grandson to Joseph and Matilda. And I did this in first service. I want to stop real quick uh, and just say thank you. I have not gotten the opportunity publicly to say thank you for the love that you expressed to my family and I and the joy that that brought us. We love hearing your stories about how much my grandparents impacted your lives. Um, Who they were with you is very much so who they were with us. Your experiences with them are very similar to what we grew up in and understood. I think everyone that knew my grandfather knew he was the same all the time and he never shut up. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm gonna apologize first service. I didn't do the voice this morning. I didn't do the voice, uh, so I will in just a moment. Uh, my, it's very difficult to replicate a Hungarian accent. You're gonna hear it done today. Uh, I am the only member of my family that doesn't speak Hungarian uh, or isn't from there that can do the accent, and I can do Papa's pretty good. So uh, that'll be a treat in a little bit as we get into things today. But as we start in our, in our time this morning, I want, you to, uh, I want you to be pretty introspective here and, and, and do some self-analyzing, okay? We're, I, I am not just going to attempt to kick out a bunch of jokes right here at the onset and then eventually get to something, all right? We're going to start a little heavy, okay? Um, we, uh, I, I want you to ask this question, all of us as a group. When we look at our lives, what have we done with the time that we have had? What have we done with the time that we have had? For some of us, if you're like me and the, the glass is half empty, you just went through all of those horrible choices you made. <laughs> you did. For those of us who your glass is half full and God bless you, you're thinking of that wonderful time that family member, that kid, your spouse, whatever it is. Think of those memories. Think of those different instances. What have you done with the time that you have had? I know we're starting so small today. Such a, such a little thing. For those of you that uh, don't know, and I'll let you continue to think a little bit, but I, uh, if you haven't encountered a conversation with me yet, I'm a big sports fan, Okay. And I, I really am, and I am unapologetic about it. Um, but I, I, it's not a good thing for most of you in the room. I don't like the teams that you like. Don't worry, we all hate the Yankees, but I don't like the teams probably that you like. Um, I am, for instance, I, I, I'm a Duck fan. That was way better than I thought it was going to be. 
Uh, Mark's not in the room this morning, so I'm not getting booed that loud. Um, I saw his face when, I, when we talked earlier. Um, he was in first service. But uh, I am also a 49er fan. I grew up in Klamath Falls. Oh, yeah, you go for it. Uh, I grew up in Klamath Falls, and I, and I grew up in the San Francisco TV market. So every Sunday, that was my afternoon game. You guys were watching the Seahawks. Uh, at the time, get demolished, and I was watching the 49ers win a Super Bowl when I was 10 years old. Um, that's, that's how I grew up. And uh, so this week uh, was not the best week my teams had this year, but on Monday night, I did go out with uh, several friends. Jameson was one of them, and uh, we went over to South Paws and watched a game. Great place to get some pizza and watch a game. It was good. And, uh, um, but uh, as we were there over the course of that game, uh, all of these emotions took place, right? If you watched the game on Monday night, you know it was ridiculous. And uh, towards the end of the game, what we thought was going to be the end of the game, the 49ers made a field goal, they forced overtime, and then I had to stay a whole lot longer uh, to watch my team lose at the very end. Um, I'm not the type that gets heartbroken over those things. I'm really not. I, I had a really good time hanging out with my friends. Um, it doesn't make me like my team less. I just... It's sports. I know that at the end of the day. I'll move on. But what happened, though, at the end of regulation was, again, the field goal kicker is lining up to make this field goal. And I had been gone from my home for about three hours. That's normal for football, right? All of us that are fans have watched a few games, at least. We understand it's about three hours for an NFL game or college game. So at the end of that three hours, um, I'm supposed to do something as a husband, supposed to come home and help put my kids to bed. That's my job. And uh, I looked at what was about to happen, and I go, uh-oh, this is overtime. My wife could care less about overtime or the 49ers or any other sports team. Uh, she does not care at all. And so uh, I, I pulled out my phone and uh, did what husbands should do, prepared a message, uh, to send, and then I got to send it. And I went, uh-oh, overtime, sorry, I'm going to be late. And she replied back pretty quick, because I think she was waiting on me already, uh, to put the kids to bed. And she said, seriously, overtime? I thought you were going to be home for bedtime. That's exactly basically what came to me. She, we're good, okay? We're, we're, we're not having out a fight right now, I promise. Uh, but this is a normal banter for us. And, and I, so I, I replied, or started to type one thing, and then I did what all of us spouses do and went, nope, that's a bad idea. And I wrote a new thing. If you don't do that, well, we can talk about that at a different time, or maybe you need to seek Pastor Kelly. But um, I deleted that message, went to something else, and said, sorry, I could not have predicted this outcome. Love you. Because there was no way I was not staying. There's no way I'm not watching the end of that game. I love my wife and I love being married, but there's no way in the world I wasn't watching the end of that game. And I knew I was good. We invested a lot of time into our, into our relationship uh, to know the outcome there for the two of us. And uh, I know so many of us can say the same. But I did something right at the end of that game in preparing to send that text message. And it was subconscious. I wasn't thinking about it. But what I was doing is something that we've done many times in our lives. We write out an explanation, a justification for the way that we are spending our time. 
or for the decision that we're about to make. And it's not bad. It wasn't bad that I stayed. I wasn't in trouble. We were good. It's not a bad thing to do. I was fellowshipping with other believers. Uh, We were all praying prayers against each other. (laughs) I was spending time with other believers. I was yelling loudly. I hope I did a good enough job representing Jesus. I didn't complain about the officiating too loud or anything. Nothing like that. But I was justifying in my message to my wife why I was spending my time on this thing. And it caused me to think, how many times have I done this over the course of my life? In maybe not such a fleeting fashion, how many times have I looked at a decision I made and said, that's why I did it and that was good? But not done what I should have done, which was, God, should I do this? And waited. Waited. How many times have I justified a decision in my own logic without considering what God wants in my life and in different situations? Going back to the memories that you were thinking about and how you've spent your time. Um, Again, maybe memories came up. You thought of different instances. Uh, Maybe as I was talking about how you spent your time, you thought of summer vacation or outings with your family or your kids, maybe nights around a campfire or mornings with a fishing pole. Uh, maybe you were at a sporting event or a favorite restaurant of yours, uh, maybe at a holiday meal, some kind of traditional get-together for your family, your friends. Maybe if you're super spiritual, you thought about a moment at a pew or an altar, conversation with God. One of the most significant moments in my life, certainly the most important when you consider eternity, was when I was five years old and I went to this church. Pastor Matt, I'm pretty sure you just started working here. Yes, when I was a child, my dad was on staff at New Life Center. We were on 34th Street. And after a Sunday evening service, I was there at the back pew, right near the exit doors that went out into the lobby. And I prayed a salvation prayer with Pastor Gary, my mom, and my dad. I remember that so well. Just like you remember many of your memories. Whatever yours is, I'm sure you can recall it right now. I'm also sure it reminds you of the joy you felt, the happiness of that moment, uh, the pride in yourself or your child or a grandchild, your sense of gratitude from a gift maybe that you were given in that memory. Whatever, what that memory represents, though, more than the food you ate, more than the experiences you had, more than all the stuff that you did or the great time you had at that theme park, it represents time. All of your memories represent time. Time that you spent in that moment and all other moments. You could have been doing anything in that specific one, but you spent time with that person or those people in that moment and had a memory that has lasted you a lifetime. Those moments in time become our memory. All of those things that we see as these little individual bubbles. I don't know about you, but when I think of memories, I have like the snow globe effect in my mind. And my mind looks at every memory like it's in a snow globe. Just to give you a visualization of my weirdness. I think about 
I think about things in a snow globe. Oftentimes when you watch stories around Christmas or in the winter, you see those snow globes and uh, the snow falling and it'll zoom in, zoom in, and you see that little building with a light and at first it looks like a cute thing that's sitting at a store, but as time goes on, you see that it's someone's house and there's a family that lives there and they do this zoom in thing in, in movies. It's a very common intro to a lot of movies. That's how my brain works. So I see these little bubbles, all of these little bubbles that represent uh, a time and become my individual memories. They make up, <clears throat> sorry, they make up perception of who I was and who we were in those times. And we all want as many memories as we can have. In fact, our entire society is bent around us creating memories. Everything that we do, every sales pitch is memory-minded. The father and son holding a fishing pole, Cabela Outdoors, right? Just they're, they're, they're over there and they're, they're holding a fishing pole and they're talking and having a great time. It's a memory that they want to help you create. Uh, if you think about, uh, one of, I'm just going to say fathers again uh, because I'm thinking selfishly here, but a father and daughter walking down the street and she's wearing her princess outfit and there's an Elsa and by the way, we have to do that for Christmas. And uh, you know, everything that we see in advertisement is meant for us to create memories. Everything on social media is memories. I shared one yesterday, uh, Wes and Carrie Sheely are very good friends of ours. Um, and uh, we had gone to 11 years ago yesterday, all of us had gone to a duck game together. And there's Nick Sheely at five years old uh, with this stupid little chubby face grin. And, uh, and that's how Carly and I imagine Nick all the time. Um, but uh, uh, sharing that memory and just remembering what that was. And I remember when we went to the game, us talking about how we were creating this awesome memory because it was the only time that all of us got to go. And Wes and Carrie were such an important part of my life. But, we, uh, but our society does this all over the place. Not just in advertisements, social media, restaurants, all entertainment is surrounded, around, uh, surrounded in making memories for you. Everything, honestly, that we do here is to create an experience, a time for you to connect with God that you will remember when you go. It's very intentional. It's not bad, but it's very intentional. Um, <clears throat> And while all those things are nice, those things that we thought of, uh, and they're fun, and honestly, they're perfectly fine to be about and do, they do consume our time. They can take us away and become a distraction. They can. From the things that are most important in our lives. And God certainly doesn't desire us to lose focus or to forget where he is, has led us, is leading us. So we need to remind our things of, uh, ourselves of a few things this morning. Let's remind ourselves of who God is in us, who he desires us to be. And let's also remember that doing his will is going to take time. And that's the word we're centered around this morning. So how do we do that? Well, this morning we're going um, to touch on a character in the Bible that you may not think of as great at time management. Uh, David is, was a teenager that used to sing and play instruments and talk to sheep all day long, um, but he had some great things to say about time management and what you do with your time. Godly time management, such an important thing. Uh, David says in uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, and I'll be reading out of the ESV today, says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
Repeat that. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What he's saying there is, why don't we look at our calendars and pray over them, all the things that are upcoming and that are important and that we must do, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, do what we should, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Meaning we don't have one, that we may get a heart of wisdom. We don't have one. We need one. So let us number our days. Number our days. How do we do that? Well, we pray. We ask God about each one. Then each one starts to have value, and it is given numerical property. One of the great teachers in my life uh, spoke uh, something to me when I was really upset. I... uh, I'm a Novak, so we get angry really fast. If you've never experienced that with any of my family, it's a thing that we do. Um, I like to say I'm not as bad as, uh, definitely not as bad as my grandpa. Um, But uh, we, uh, we tend to go maybe a little farther in our anger than we should at times. Maybe a few of you are guilty of this. But this uh, individual in my life was leading me through a situation. We were at a camp and uh, our our, the Assemblies of God used to own a camp called Camp Davidson in Central Oregon. How many of you guys remember that camp? Okay, yeah, lots of hands. And um, I grew up going there. I met my wife at that camp when we were 13 years old. Um, and uh, different story, different time. But I uh, loved the camp, and I was there working. And they come to us, uh, the camp director does, and he says, I'm so sorry. Something horrible is going to happen. We had 450 people at this camp, and he goes, you are about to lose water for two days. In the middle of the week, we're there Monday to Friday, and he says, Wednesday and Thursday, you will have no water. They're like, no, that's not good. Um, Have you smelled these teenagers? It's Tuesday, and it's already bad. And he explains that six months prior, they had gotten a notice uh, it was part of the, uh, a forest project uh, the Department of Forestry was doing, and they said, we're going to need to come turn off the water at some point. Um, Caitlin, can you imagine? Uh, Caitlin, by the way, who's uh, sitting up here today, she's Pastor Brian Eno, who's our, uh, our network youth director, next-gen pastor. Uh, she's his assistant, and she runs registration and helps with all of these events. Nightmare. Everybody get on buses and go home, right? Like the worst thing that could happen. So all these scenarios are playing out in our heads. And, um, and what happened was they had given the six-month notice, and then they never sent a date. Never told them. I said, okay, let me know, and they never sent a date. So out of sight, out of mind, camp director didn't think about it because he wasn't given even a window. And then all of a sudden, we're confronted with this problem. And I got angry very quickly uh, as someone who did not want to smell all these kids and also didn't want to miss out on their own shower uh, or the ability to drink water for the next couple of days. And uh, it was like, no, this cannot happen. I said, we need to go to the office where these people are at. We need to scream at everybody. And if they don't listen to us, we're calling the news and we're making a big deal because I'm a millennial and this is what we do. <laughs> we complain about it to as many people as possible and think that our opinions are relevant in this circumstance. Yeah, that was a little too, a little too rough. I'm sorry. Um, so he looks across the table at me and he says, or, or we could do this. And I'll, I'll uh, speak 
his exact words. He said, God is not surprised that this happened. Let's go to him and ask what to do. And when he speaks, we will do what he says. And then he says something he's very famous for quoting. It's been a big part of my life for well over a decade. He says this statement. He says, and God will honor our faithfulness to his words. Again, God will honor our faithfulness to his words. Now, we could have gone with my idea. My idea seemed pretty good at the time and pretty justified. There was a lot of people in that circle that agreed with me. Uh, We could have just jumped up and gone for it. We could have ranted and yelled at officials, called the news team, all of it. Certainly, most would say that was a logical response, but in many of the memories that you may have thought through in the last several minutes, you may have thought about a lot of fun or silly things that you did. And again, all of this is part of life, nothing wrong, nothing bad about them. But we're diving into something a little deeper here. See, again, none of your fond memories are bad, but as we look over the course of our lives, we ought to ask ourselves some honest questions. And what I had to ask myself in that moment and be reflective upon was, is this the best way to spend my time? And I'm not wrong, but is the, this the best thing I could do with my time is go complain and get angry? Is this what God would have me do in response to this issue? Because certainly when a wrong has occurred, you know, God's a God of justice. But is this the best thing to do in this moment, in this time? So I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I manage my time in a godly manner? Do I manage my time in a godly manner? Do I spend the time I should in the things God asked me to be about each year, each month, each week, each day in prayer? Am I lining up my decisions before I make them with his word and his voice? Before I make those decisions. We are people as a society that we react. It's what we do. It's human nature too, but especially here in the United States, we react to things. We all have opinions and we share them. Whether it's on social media or around a dinner table or the friend in the car or we just yell at that guy on the radio every time he says that dumb stuff. We do. We react. But God does not desire that his people be one of reaction. God desires that we be people who wait on him. How many times is the word wait used in the Bible? I should have searched that. A good pastor would. How many times? But we know as we read scriptures, those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait, and God utilizes that term time and time and time again so that we will understand that thoughtfulness, consideration, and making sure that our decisions are lining up with what God has for us and who he is, is what's most important. Almost jumped ahead of myself. Do I spend my time in a godly manner? We all get caught up in the routines of uh, day-to-day life. It's just a normal thing. Bill Pollard, who's somebody that I really admire, he, uh, he's a lawyer, an author, uh, was president of uh, Whitworth College. Uh, he's 
uh, CEO, um, previously was, of the number one service industry in America, Service Master. Uh, has a lot of great stuff out there on leadership, and I love some of the principles that he gives. But I also, I, I love the statement he made. I think I got it mostly right. Uh, when, I, when it comes to spending our time on different things, I have always, always reminded myself of this principle. If God's not in it, it's not worth my time. If God's not in it, it's not worth my time. So all of those things that we talked about earlier, they're not bad. Spending time with your family, that's good. Doing your job every week, being diligent in that, that's a good thing. Spending time with your spouse, that's good. How you spend it also matters. Uh, said everybody that's guilty of watching, uh, watching a Netflix show way too long or every day watching the news and ignoring them for 30 minutes, or whatever your time is. Just because you're in the room doesn't mean you're spending quality time together. We'll touch on that in just a moment. None of these things are bad, though, to go and to do and to be about. Spending time with our kids, going to sports stuff, all that. All good things. We should do it. We should be about those things. But if God's not in it, it's not worth your time. Let's remind ourselves of this. God is in everything. But what Mr. Pollard is referring to, though, is about God's will. If it isn't what he desires for us, then it's not worth doing. If it isn't what he desires for us, then it's not worth doing. Does he desire that we do these individual things? And we might do this. We might paint a categorical brush. When we spend time with our kids, we go, this is what God desires for me to do. That is good. When we spend time at our job, this is what God desires for me to do. It's biblical to provide for your family. It absolutely is. This is what God desires for me to do is spend time with my spouse. Or go to, go to school, do these different things, spend time with friends, other believers, blah, 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 blah. We might paint this categorical brush. But just because it's good does not mean God wants us to be about it. For each of us individually, we have to pray through circumstances and understand that God may say, this, yes, this is a good thing, but I don't want you to be about it. For instance, I should never, you should never in your life ask me to draw you a picture of any kind. All of my art skills are right here. This is all I do. Art is good. Me doing that is bad. And I shouldn't waste my time on it. It's terrible. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a bad cook, but my last name's Novak. There's a lot better ones in my family. If you got to pick one to make you a meal, pick some of my aunts. My dad is good. My Uncle Joe is, she's not here. My Uncle Joe's probably the best cook in my family. Okay? Like, he's fantastic. I said that's still really quiet, and I know she's not in the building. It's terrifying. Hopefully we don't put this one on a website. Um, but I don't need to be about that. Not because it's bad, but it's not who God made me to be. So I shouldn't do it. We'll get into that in just a moment. Mr. Pollard also touches on the importance of quality time versus quantity. He says, as humans, we can spend our whole lives investing our time in things that do not produce productivity. But when we live in a godly way, our time will be productive in a godly way. With that in mind, 
let's ask ourselves this question. And, we, and I'm really rephrasing something I already asked. Am I prioritizing my time in a godly way? I'm going to break this down a little bit. Am I prioritizing my time in a godly way? My dad, uh, when I started off in ministry, I was in my early 20s, my dad spoke uh, this list of priorities to me. He actually wrote them down and he handed them to me. Um, and uh, which is not something I ever remember my dad doing in any other instance, like leaving me a note other than when I get home, you're in trouble, like something like that. Um, don't remember anything else. This one list, five things. And he said, these are the priorities you need to have for the rest of your life as, as a man, as a man of God. And he said, I don't want you to abide by this in ministry, out of ministry, whatever your life looks like. He said, first, your first priority should always be God and your relationship with him. Second, should be your relationship with your spouse. Third, should be your relationship with your kids. Fourth, should be your job, what you need to do each week. And last, your friends, the community that God has given you. If you keep those five things in that order the rest of your life, you will not just live well, but you will live in the will of God, which is the most important thing. And for whatever reason, that 20-something-year-old actually listened to his dad. Now, I'm not saying I did all of this correctly all the time. I'm not saying that I was perfect and that when I became a pastor, I just did it all right and nothing ever went wrong. Plenty has gone wrong. But I always came back to it. Always. This principle that was spoken in my life. And I want to speak it into yours today. You say, Matt, that's not fair, okay? I'm going to be real honest. Sometimes my job is just what it is. Sometimes I work 80 plus hours a week. I feel you. I understand. You know, there have been times where my kids and I have been going through stuff or they're going through a lot, and my kids are my priority. They are. They're absolutely my priority. I want to say this about that as a parent. If you want to show your kids how much of a priority they are, then make sure that God and your spouse come before them. Because they will see healthy relationships modeled in front of them. And that, that will show them how much you care. Maybe not in a moment, maybe not in a circumstance, but over the course of your life, if you make sure they see this, they will always always come back to my parents loved me so much that they did these things in front of me. I brought up my grandparents earlier and I did not share this story in the first service, but I want to right now. My grandfather and my grandmother, if you did not know this about Joseph and Matilda, um, they, they didn't just pray for you when they saw you. And that was almost inevitable, right? Like that pretty much happened Almost every time you saw them in some way, um, you know, they wanted to bless you. They wanted to be, they want to speak words of life to you. But my grandparents had a list at their house, big, you know, yellow notepad. And your names were on it. If my grandfather could remember your name, it was on it. 
all of your names. Every day they went home. Grandma made us a ridiculous meal. And then when everything was put away and it was all done, they would sit in the living room and grandma had this little bench uh, footstool out in front of her. Papa would sit on the footstool and grandma would have a Bible and the notepad. And she would read to him from the Bible and Papa would massage grandma's feet every day. And when they were done reading the Bible, they would pray. They prayed for their family. Actually, they prayed for that list in order. And then they began to pray for all of you. In the situations that you were going through and facing, at least to the extent that they knew them, for your families. But every day, they sat down and they did this. This is an incredible thing to watch. I would usually leave the room and go watch my sports somewhere else. But I knew how much they valued the people in their lives, the relationships they had, and one another, because I saw them do that every day. If you will model that type of healthy relationship and healthy life after the things of God, by placing your spouse as your highest priority. Note, I didn't say my grandpa was playing with me when I was a little kid. We didn't wrestle and roughhouse and do that stuff. Not that we didn't do fun things. He endangered my life many times doing fun things. <laughs> my, not that I didn't do great things with my grandma. Everything I know about an oven, a house, all has to do with my grandma. But we did all those things, but every night, the first thing they did when life was put away was do that. And that spoke to me as a young man. I understood it as a kid. I knew why they did it. My parents would come and they would do devotions with us. And as I became an adult, and more importantly, as I became a parent, it really really settled with me. I understood that what my grandparents did had gone to my parents. And what my parents did was now going to go to my kids. And every day, we end our night with our kids singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And then we pray over them. Pray for them. We pray for you. Pray for our family. If you want your kids to have right priorities and know that you love them, keep this list. Make sure you are obedient to it. Those are the words of God. Skip down a little bit. God-inspired moments will make up a godly life. What's, I want to ask you another tough question today. What's the most successful moment of your life? Successful. Think real quick. 
what would you say is your greatest success? For some of you, it might be uh, something very simple, such as graduation of some kind. It might be uh, landing your dream job. Sure. If you're a spouse and you want to score some points, it's getting married. I know that's what it is for me. I love you. But what is your greatest success? Your greatest success, as great as it was, is a moment in time. It's a thing that happened. Those moments before it, uh, though, really matter. Those moments before it probably came with a whole lot of work. Uh, you, you went to school. You put in overtime. Uh, you flirted or said something embarrassing so they'd notice you. Uh, maybe that was just me. Uh, you did extra credit. You did internships. I'm going to stop in the middle of this thought and say, I mentioned intern Kelly earlier today. Uh, Kelly has been our intern with our students uh, this school year so far and was with us also in, over the summer. And I have never in my time in ministry thrown so much at one person. And if you would let no, Kelly know how much you appreciate her, she's the girl that gets up here really nervously on Sunday mornings and gives the announcements. Uh, not my wife who did it today, but she's, she comes up and she's very obedient. She does everything that we ask her to do and she does a great job. But as I was saying the word intern, that popped into my head. Make sure she knows that you love and appreciate the work that she's doing. She's doing a great job with your students. She absolutely is, especially as we're going through this intern period with Jeremy and her uh, leading that area and doing great. So maybe you did an internship like Kelly is. Maybe you learned common core math for that child. Not looking forward to that at all. Um, you sacrificed, you kept your nose to the grindstone and did what was necessary to get you there. And that's all well and good. And, and you should pat yourself on the back right now unless you're going to hurt yourself doing it, then don't. But I want to ask you, before you did all of these things, when you were in the process of, of that achievement and all the stuff that led up to it, did you do this one very simple thing before you started on that journey? Did you pray? Was your most successful moment in life predicated by prayer? Did it begin in its origin with a prayer to God saying, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me be about? Because if it didn't, if it didn't start there, and if there wasn't prayer along the way, then I would say this right back to your face this morning, that's not your most successful moment in life. The greatest thing that we will do in this life is one word, we will obey. Every great thing that you do on this earth, anything that we can truly call a success is success because we were obedient to God who spoke it into our hearts. And we followed through with the plan that he laid out and what he asked. I didn't say your name anywhere in there. It has nothing to do with us. Our greatest successes are his. When we say the words, all glory to you, that removes it from the self. It means we're not important and he is. Absolutely does. The greatest thing you can do in this life is be obedient. All of your success pales in comparison to obedience unto God. All of it. You can have buildings named after you. 
You can have an incredible name in the community. I can't tell you how beneficial it is to be a Novak and live here. Nobody knows who I am when I leave this town, but here, when grandma passed away just so many weeks ago, I can't tell you how many people took my card for something, right, to give my name to and told me their story. And that's been ongoing ever since. I can't go to the gas station at Costco. His name is Mike. He's a very nice man. And he told me about how my grandfather was his best friend, Sunday school teacher, and led him to the Lord. Found that out the day after grandma passed away. I've heard so many stories. It's a great thing. And it's amazing to have accomplishments associated to who you are. And that's nice. Might even get you out of a ticket someday. But it is not at all important in the perspective of what our life is and who God is in our life, it doesn't matter. David had a couple other things that he mentioned. He says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In Proverbs 16, 3, backing up, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see how he wrote that? Verse 9, after verse 3, I'll repeat it again. Uh, in, in, well, I guess we'll go at it this way. Sorry, I don't want to confuse up there. 16, 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Then he follows up and says, the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. He spoke something and then went back and reiterated because he knew that the hearer would react. Just like we talked about earlier, we are reaction oriented. He knew that the hearer would uh, hear that statement, commit to your work and your plans will be established. When you hear the phrase, your plans will be established, you get excited. All the things that I've ever dreamed will come true. This will happen. I just got to work hard. That's what you leave when you read that part. It's what we all do. We hear that last phrase and we're like, that's everything. So he reiterates in verse nine and says, the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps so that we don't forget. We don't forget where our true direction comes from and who is leading us. So we should pray to make sure each step wasn't made by emotions or logic, but by the God who wanted to give you his desire for your life and not your small dream. Understand this, we have dreams and they're fine and they're great and everything, but they pale in comparison to what God desires for us. And they're meaningless in comparison to what God has, what you think is so awesome and so wonderful. God goes, but I have so much more. I have so much more. And when we go to him with those ideas, know that he may have planted a seed there and that little thing that you're discussing is a part of a greater plan, but there is so much more out there than what we oftentimes are thinking about or realize. We will likely never be famous. Probably not. I think having my last name is about as famous as I'm ever gonna get. It's fine. Not worried about it at all. 
one of the most famous people uh, that has lived in, in my time here on this earth, um, one of the greatest innovators, I believe, that has ever uh, lived, uh, especially when it comes to the advancement of humans when it comes in, in relation to technology and all those things. Uh, then, uh, Steve Jobs, who created Apple, and uh, the phone that is likely in your pocket or the tablet that is sitting at your house uh, or in your car maybe right now. He said this at the end of his life when he was on his deathbed. He said, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Yeah. He later says this in his speech. And this clearly most profound thing is how he ends it. He says, material things lost can be found, but there is one thing that can never be found when it is lost, life. I remember reading that for the first time. It wasn't that long ago that he passed. And I remember just sitting there silently. And I did what I asked all of you to do at the beginning of our time today. To think about your life and how you have spent your time. We have spent so much time worrying about material things. We have spent so much time investing in relationships that didn't pan out or are no longer with us. And I think how many times if we had prayed before we made a decision or took a step in a relationship or we took a step in regards to our career or something with our kids or whatever, how many times if we had just prayed could we look back and be so proud of our obedience rather than what took place following our brilliant idea. Jesus knew that we would find treasures here on this earth and we would place a certain value to them and, and desire them. He, he knew that. He knew that was part of our humanity. So he says, and it's repeated in both Matthew 16, 26 and in Mark 8, 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? God doesn't want us to have a bunch of successful moments before we come showing him our worth. You don't need to prove anything to him. Nothing. He knew who he created. And he loved you before you knew he existed. What he desires from you is your time. He wants it. He is jealous for it. And if you give it to him, not just reading words, not just singing songs or listening to someone speak through a microphone, but if you give yourself to him, how great will your time truly be? What will you do with that time? 
I wanna speak this to those of you who are a little more seasoned in the room today. Every moment we have breath, we have purpose. Your time was not then, it is now. If you are young in this place, your time is not coming, it is now. If you know him, he has plans. If you don't, he has plans. And he does not desire that you live in what could be or what was. He desires that you live in his plan for now. And that you don't look back. You don't worry about what's in front of you. You don't see either mountain, but you only see where he is leading you. Author Teresa Cobble said this, God's plan for your life is happening right now. It doesn't begin when you get married or when you get your dream job or when everything feels perfect. You are in the plan. You are in the plan. You say, this doesn't feel like much of a plan. Yeah, because a lot of what happened so far and to, to up to this point has been you. And you done messed it up. You did. For just being honest, we know that God has spoken specific things to us and we have not always been obedient. If we're just being honest, there is a calling that has maybe been on your life. And I don't mean to stand up here and do this today. I'm doing what God called me to do. I want you to do what God called you to do. A hundred percent. There is maybe a calling to be at a certain job today and be in that eight to five grind so that you can speak life into or be Jesus for just one person that God will later use for his great glory. But you don't know because you haven't been obedient. I hope this is making a whole lot of sense. You are in the plan right now and there's purpose to your next breath. Every single one that you get still has purpose. Whether you feel it or not, your, feeling are, your feelings are liars. Satan speaks to you through your emotions and your humanity. God speaks to you with his Holy Spirit, with his word. And that is the only truth you need to know and be about. So I don't care how you feel today. Sorry. God understands that you're hurt, you're tired, you're angry, confused, or broken. God desires today, like every other day, that you be obedient. Let's bow our heads today. If over the course of your life, there have been times where you have made mistakes or wrongs committed, and this morning, God has spoken to you and said, I want to take the burden of that and your guilt and your shame. I don't want that to be a memory that concerns you any longer. And we saying that to your heart this morning so that I can pray with you. Would you simply lift a hand right where you're at? Yeah, thank you for your honesty this morning.
God, we give you this sin, this stuff. We ask that you remove it from our lives and from our hearts. Let it not be a memory that every time we think about this or that, it comes up and it burdens us any longer. God, if there are steps we need to take, God, righting wrongs and going to people and apologizing, God, give us the strength to do so, that we will take action on what you have spoken to our hearts today. God, we give it to you. Covered by grace, it is no longer a part of our lives today. We receive forgiveness today, Lord God. And if you are in this place today, and you can very honestly say that those five things that we showed earlier, the priorities and the way that they should be, have not been, have not been in that order in your life. And the Holy Spirit today says, we need to change this. We need to get this right. God spoke into your heart today and you said, I, I, I know, I know I need to reframe my thinking on this. I need, I need to make sure my priorities are right. I'm putting the time where it belongs. If that's you, would you raise a hand this morning? I want to pray with you. Thank you for your honesty. God sees that, absolutely. Yeah. God, we give you our whole lives, all of it. These things that we have prioritized at times incorrectly or done incorrectly, God, we give them to you. God, we ask that you remind us each and every day of your goodness, your greatness. God, that you show us your plan for our days. God, that we will be prayerful in the steps that we take. We will be prayerful, Lord God, as we consider who you desire us to be. Help us to love our families, the people that you have surrounded us with, those at our jobs. Help us to be you every day, represent you every day in those people's lives by keeping those priorities exactly where they should be. God, may you always be the most important thing in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. God, we give you all of this today. And we thank you for the reminder of your words. In your name we pray. Amen.